All right, before we begin, let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing in this church. It is a privilege to be a part of it. I am so humbled that I get to be here at this time. Thank you. Father, as we open your word today, as we talk about rest, as we talk about Sabbath, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just speak so clearly that each one of us would have our eyes and ears open for what you have for us. I ask that in this time together that I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. And I pray that none of us would leave this time unchanged, but that we would hear your voice speaking clearly. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is week four of our sermon series all about Sabbath rest. Now, this concept in, in Scripture is one that we don't talk about a lot because as Christ followers, we, we are not uh, restricted. We don't have to practice Sabbath every seven days like the Jewish people did in the Bible. However, as we've been seeing through this series, Sabbath and the concept of rest is, is actually a very important thing for us to be considering as followers of Jesus. We are still invited to experience a Sabbath kind of life, and that's what this series is all about. So today, we're going to look at a new angle on Sabbath in Scripture, and, and it's going to take us kind of all over the place in the Bible. It's kind of a big story, and so I want to start where a lot of good stories begin, which is at the beginning. So we're going to look at, not for a long time, but we're going to take a second and talk about the creation narratives in Genesis and what happens to Adam in the Garden of Eden, because that will set up for us a lot of the concepts of Sabbath that we're going to talk about. So let me start this way. The creation narratives in Genesis are, are remarkable. They are deeply poetic and profound and really, really thought-provoking. But their, their point, the reason that we have them and that, they, that they've been passed down to us from generation to generation is because these stories do an incredible job of explaining why things are the way they are. Uh, it, including why we're so exhausted, why we're so anxious, why we're so stressed out all the time. These stories help us understand that. It, they are, in, in, in a sense, they're a poetic depiction of the human condition, and we can see ourselves in these pages. So the story goes like this. After God created the universe, after he created galaxies and fish and trees and everything, he creates humanity, or, or in Hebrew, Adam. Adam, a man named Adam, as we call him. And, and he creates Adam, and he gives him a job in this new creation that he's made. He gives him a job as a gardener, essentially. Adam is called to be a steward of God's creation. He, he's, he's here to steward the, the abundance and the beauty and the life that God has made. So he works. Adam has a job. He works, but the kind of work that he does is a very fruitful kind of work. It's, it's, it's life-giving, it's abundant, it's not back-breaking labor. Uh, I imagine that like Adam spent his days, I don't know, going around and pruning a few apple trees and then you know, putting some compost down by the, by the tomatoes and then maybe he had to go resolve a dispute between the, the pigs and the, and the squirrels and they're, they're arguing about a pile of acorns that they found and he had to work that out. I, we don't know, but I think the animals kind of talked in Eden. I think that was kind of like a little Narnia-esque. Anyway, that was kind of his job. It was, it was bountiful, it was peaceful, it was, a, it was an abundant kind of life. And it's not backbreaking for one reason. Because God is the one providing all of the things that Adam needs, right? He's providing fruit from the trees. Adam can walk around and just pick fruit off the trees. He's got, the, the ground is producing things that he can eat. It's, it's, there's life, there's, there's food, there's abundance everywhere. And Adam is not creating that abundance. He's simply stewarding it, 
right? He's just a gardener. So Adam's in paradise. He's living this abundant, peaceful life, but he has one rule that he has to follow. So here's what it is. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him. You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Now, I prefer to call this tree the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, not good and evil, because the word ra, it's the, it's the tree of the knowledge of tov and ra, and ra in Hebrew is not so much about morality as it is about the quality of a thing. Is it good or is it bad quality? And up until this point, God has been the one who's describing and defining what is good and what is bad. He, he creates everything and he says it is very good. He sees Adam alone, and he says it is not good for Adam to be alone, and so he creates woman, and he creates humanity as a, as a species. So, so you see, God is defining what is good and bad, but this tree, for humans to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and bad is essentially, it's for them choosing to decide for themselves what is good, to, to make up their own minds about what is bad, regardless of what God declares. They try to become their own gods, in other words, by taking this fruit. And in the story, of course, that's exactly what they do. They, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, and they suffer the consequences of this. It's like, God, we don't trust you. We're going to do our own thing, and God allows that to happen. The relationship, first of all, between the man and the woman, that starts to fall apart, and, and that echoes into, into our lives. Uh, things begin to fall apart between humans and one another. Uh, there's, there's, you know, violence and murder almost immediately. A curse has entered our world, a curse. God tells Adam this, and to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the earth, to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So the ground is cursed because of you. In other words, if you're gonna reject my abundance, Adam, then you're gonna have to sweat and scrape to survive. And the earth is not gonna just put up with that. The earth is gonna put up a fight, right? Thorns and thistles, you're gonna, it, it's a war. You're gonna be sweating to survive. Your work is gonna grind you back into the dust from which you were made. And again, immediately in the story, we see how this curse, how this brokenness starts to weave its way into all of humans. You've got, you've got murder, theft, injustice, all of it because of this curse. Now think about this. In Eden, I find this really interesting. In Eden, there is no inequality. There can't be because everybody has exactly as much as everybody else, which is more than enough, right? Everybody's got more than enough, and so there is no inequality. But in the world of the curse, when the ground is cursed, when, when, when humans have to, have to work and toil in the hot sun, guess what? There are some people who have a great year, and they've got more than they need, and there are others who have a bad year, and they're going hungry. Right out of the gate, you've got the possibility for inequality and injustice and poverty and wealth to start defining human interactions. Injustice can now exist, and injustice, as anyone who has experienced it knows, injustice grinds you into dust. So things are falling apart significantly. And one more thing. It may seem like a really small detail, but, but 
for where we're going today, I think it's important to pay attention to. A bit later in Genesis, after the flood, God tells Noah uh, one additional component of the curse. He says this, all the animals on the earth will look on you with fear and terror. Now remember, in Eden, humanity's job is to to shepherd and rule over all the creatures. We're we're, we're here to care for the animals of the earth, but now they're terrified of us, right? Even that relationship between humans and animals is broken down. So, So now, get this picture in your mind, right? This is the world after the fall of man. Humans and the earth, humans and creation are at war. Uh, They're they're grinding each other into dust. Humans are at war with one another. There's injustice and hatred and murder and all of that. there's, There's pain in our world. Creation is broken. Creation is broken. Life in Eden, now it just seems like an impossible ideal. Like it's just, it's out of reach, right? That's where the story begins. Until... Until God calls a people, a specific people, the Israelites, and he calls them to be holy. So he calls them to be a holy nation. Now holy, as we've said, it means to to be set apart, to be different from everything else. He wants the Israelites to live a different kind of life and to, to, to live differently from all the nations around them and in so doing, show the world that there is another way to live. There's a different way to exist. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago when, when, I, when I last preached. But God commands the Israelites to do something that, that nobody else in the world did, which was to rest, to stop their work once a week on the Sabbath day for a full day, 24 hours, there's no work at all. It's, that's what it's called, the Sabbath day. And that word Sabbath literally means stop. It is a stop day. Nobody works. Nobody's sweating in the field. Nobody's grinding themselves into into dust. Once a week, the Israelites are supposed to stop the grind for survival and trust that God's going to provide for them. One day a week, they live free of the slave masters that want to keep them in chains, right? The slave masters of greed and profit and work and survival. And again, I'll say, although the Christ followers of today, us, we are not bound by that specific Sabbath command. We don't have to practice one day a week of no work. We are kind of being invited into something much more significant, which is a Sabbath way of life. We are called uh, to, to and expected to live differently from the world around us. We too are called to be a holy nation, a holy people set apart. And we are called to experience the kind of rest that Israel was commanded to experience. As Tim talked about last week, Sabbath, biblical Sabbath and rest, it's a gift from God. It's a gift. If we trust and and we stop the grind like God commands us to do, then he's going to come through for us. He'll provide. We trust him and, and we will find order in our lives and space to breathe and rest for our souls. We will experience abundance. That's the the concept of Sabbath that came to to change the trajectory of the curse. Well, today we are going to look at an additional angle on the Sabbath, uh, this whole concept, another type of rest that the Israelites were commanded to take, but this time it gets ridiculous. Not just a Sabbath day, but a Sabbath year. Sabbath year. So grab your Bibles. We're going to turn to Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1. It's going to be page 107 in the house Bibles in the seat in front of you. 
And I'm gonna tell you, what we're about to read, this whole concept of the Sabbath year, I don't think I even knew it existed until like seven years ago. I didn't even, I'd never even like heard about this. And now it's, it's profound. It's really, really important. So I'm gonna introduce it to you. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe not, but let's, let's talk about the Sabbath year. Leviticus 25. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops, but during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year and don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock... And the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. All right. Wow. Seven years, and then everybody in Israel is supposed to just stop to Sabbath for an entire year. Every seven years. Think about that. Think about that. We went from the idea of of one day without working a week, which is already crazy, And all of a sudden, we're supposed to take a year out of every seven and not work at all? This is verging on the ridiculous. This is extreme. A whole year of no work? I mean, what are are the people supposed to do? Just sit around and just like, I don't know, chill out, wait for the the land to produce food, and they're supposed to just eat it? And and all the while, what are they going to do? They're going to let the donkeys and the rabbits just go to town in the fields that they've worked so hard to create? What is going on here? But wait, there's more. There's more. It gets more ridiculous because elsewhere in the law, there's another command added on to this Sabbath year command, and it's this. Uh, As a part of the Sabbath year, at the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. (laughs) All right, what? Like, who wrote this stuff? A bunch of hippies? Like, what is this? This This is crazy. What? A release of debts every seven years. A Sabbath rest for the land? The land gets to rest. Why would God ask this of the people? It doesn't make any sense. Well, to answer that, I think it's helpful to just try to picture what it would be like if we were ancient Israelites. Try to put ourselves in their, in their headspace and imagine what a Sabbath year, hypothetically, what a Sabbath year would be like. So let's imagine. Uh, first of all, for one year out of seven, I guess, there wouldn't be a struggle with the earth to survive, would there? You know, we wouldn't be, you know, slaving away in the fields and sweating and, and you know, wrenching profit from the earth. No, we'd just be presumably eating food off of trees and just eating the plants that grow around us. Like, there wouldn't be a struggle with the earth. And also, I guess, the inequality of wealth and, and poverty kind of goes away to an extent. Because again, look at, uh, if you've fallen on hard times, your debts are forgiven. So if you, if you aren't able to make it for one year, you know that in just a few more years, by that Sabbath year, your debts will be forgiven. You'll be released. You're not being ground into dust by your money. And again, even the livestock and the wild animals are resting. Look at verse 7. They are, they are allowed to eat their fill. The pigs and the squirrels are back to arguing over acorns again, right? It's, it's, there's abundance all of a sudden. 
They're not fleeing in terror from us. You know what all this sounds like to me? When you add all these things up, what it sounds like, it sounds like Eden again, doesn't it? It sounds like Eden. No more struggle for survival. The, the inequality of, of wealth and poverty is going away. The animals are, are living in, in peace. They're, they're not fleeing. We're back in Eden here, or at least we're rehearsing what it would be like to return to Eden. It's a rehearsal of that. No longer being ground into dust, but enjoying the abundance that God provides. It also sounds like, like we're practicing what it will be like someday when God restores creation and makes all things new, right? It sounds like we're practicing what is to come, a return to Eden. You see, the Sabbath year, at its core, a Sabbath year is, is a taste of new creation. It's a return to Eden once every seven years. This is a practice that the Israelites could, could do to demonstrate that there is another way to live. They could show the world as a holy nation that there is another way, living under the, the abundance of God. Now, that all sounds great, all right? It does, it sounds amazing. There's just one problem with this. Yeah, we're calling it a return to Eden, but the Israelites are not living in Eden they're living in the land of the curse, aren't they? They're living in the land of, of thorns and thistles. They're, they're, they're living in the curse trying to survive. So why, if you're an ancient Israelite, why would you risk living into this utopian fantasy? Why would you risk it? If, if God doesn't come through for you, well, guess what? You're gonna starve. Your family's gonna starve. This is a very risky proposition. Well, again, as I said a couple weeks ago, Sabbath is a matter of trust. At its core, it's a matter of trust, trusting that God means what he says, that he will be uh, providing for you and, and meeting, meeting the shortfalls and coming through for you. As he says, just the next very chapter in Leviticus, he says this. He says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send the seasonal rains. The land will then yield its crops and the trees of the field will produce their fruit. And I love this, your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest, and your grape harvest will overlap with the season for planting grain. You will eat your fill and live securely in your own land. Now, quick little world behind the text here. The, the uh, grain in Israel was harvested, was brought in like beginning of summer, very beginning of summer. Grapes were harvested at the end of summer, the beginning of fall, and grain was, was sown for the next year at the, at the kind of beginning of winter, at the end of fall. So what God is saying here essentially is, look, if you actually trust me, if you stop uh, for Sabbath day, if you stop for the Sabbath year, when I ask you to stop, you are gonna have so much to harvest that you're not even gonna be able to, to have time to gather it all in before the next harvest begins. You'll be like harvesting all year, all year long. Think about that. If you trust me with the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, and if you trust me with the Sabbath year, I am going to knock your socks off with abundance. You can eat again from the tree of life. You can come alive, you can be full, but you have to trust. You have to trust. So did they? Did the Israelites trust? Did they, did they trust God and practice this utopian Sabbath year? Did the land rest? And did all the creatures within it eat their fill? Did they return to Eden? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it. 
In fact, there is, there's really no record in, in, in archaeology or in the Bible itself that the Israelites ever even tried it. There's no record that they even gave it a shot. In fact, just the opposite. Just the opposite. What we see as the story goes on is that not only did Israel fail to trust God with the Sabbath year, but, but this nation that was called to be set apart from the brokenness of the world, called to, to show the world a different way to live, they became no different, even sometimes worse than their neighbors. This, this holy nation, supposedly holy nation, they were focused on wrenching profit from the earth and abusing other people. And be, it, it became a land of injustice and violence and scarcity and war. That came to define Israel until God finally had enough. And he allowed his chosen people to be carried off into exile in Babylon. That was the, those are the consequences of their choice to just keep on eating from this tree of the knowledge of good and bad, saying, God, we know better than you. We know better than you. So they went off to exile in Babylon. And that, by the way, is when it says in, in, in Second Chronicles that when they're in exile, that is when the land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled. One year in exile for every Sabbath year that they had ignored. Doesn't that break your heart? What a, what a shame. I mean, the Israelites, I, I, I see it as like the greatest missed opportunity of all time. They could have lived in abundance, but they chose the path of scarcity because they wanted to depend on their own self-sufficiency. What a shame. So why are we talking about all this today? Why are, we, why are we talking about it now? If we're not, you know, if we're not beholden to these specific laws, if we don't have, you know, fields to harvest and all of that, then why are we even talking about this? Well, we're talking about it because I believe that the opportunity that the Israelites missed is still available to us. We have an opportunity today as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to, to once more experience rest and to show our world that there is another way to live. Because Jesus, he, he, he completed this storyline. Jesus who took the curse on himself, right? The, the human, curse of humanity and he ended the war between us and creation. The Apostle Paul says this in Colossians, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The war is over. Jesus, who taught that we no longer have to be ground to dust by survival. He said, Jesus himself said, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Jesus, who taught us to release others from debt just like in the Sabbath year, Love your enemies, Jesus said. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Jesus, who asks us to help those around us to rest and be replenished. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. And Jesus, who taught us that God will provide. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You know what that sounds like to me? Your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like abundance. 
You see, the Sabbath year, the Sabbath itself that Jesus invites us into is not just about letting our fields lie fallow. That's not, that's not what it's about. It is about living a lifestyle of trust that God will come through for us. In the new creation and the, the, the return to Eden that, that is coming one day, the ultimate complete return to Eden, Sabbath rest will be eternal. We will always live in the rest of Eden. But in Christ, we are invited to start practicing that rest right now, to begin living out that, that concept, that, that provocative idea in our day and time in our lives. We are called still to be a holy people, set apart from the rest of the world and showing our neighbors and our community that there is another way to live. You don't have to be ground down to dust anymore. So let's get practical for a minute. What, what do we do? How, how do we respond to this idea? Let's say we do decide we want to trust and start living this concept of the Sabbath year and the Sabbath as, as a lifestyle. What do we do? Well, there's one specific angle to this Sabbath year that I think maybe is important for us to pay attention to. Last uh, time I talked, I, sh- I talked about us individually. How can we rest? How can we uh, step into Sabbath in our lives? But, but take a look at this. In, uh, think about this. In Deuteronomy 5, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, it says that the Sabbath day is a chance to let our children and our servants and our oxen and our donkeys rest. So it's not just about us, it's about them, right? The Sabbath year, as we read in Leviticus 25, is is no different. It's very similar. Uh, It's rest for us, of course. It's it's rest that we don't have to go work in the fields. But look at verse 6. It is rest for your servants, for your hired workers, for the temporary residents in your land, for your livestock, for the wild animals, and it is rest for the land itself. It's rest for all of those things. In other words, the Sabbath year is an invitation to ensure rest and refreshment for all that is under our sphere of influence. To ensure rest and refreshment for everything that that our our, uh, sphere of influence touches. Now, we don't, most of us have grain fields and, and grapevines, but we all have a sphere of influence. We do. Every one of us does. Uh, So let's dream together of what it might look like to provide Sabbath rest for them or for it. I'll give you an example. Here's here's an idea, and I know this isn't applying to everybody, but it's a good starting point. Some of you manage employees. You've got other people that you oversee, that that they they work under you, and, and they work for you to some degree. What would it look like for you to not just offer them rest or offer them time off, but to actively protect it for them, right? Not just, not just saying, hey, you know, you've got, don't forget, you've got some PTO. Good luck with that. Take your personal time off. What would it look like to actively identify the obstacles that are standing in the way of your employees getting rest and actually you being the one to knock those obstacles down? I'm working on this right now with, with one of our staff members. Uh, there's a staff member right now at Grace who's struggling to, uh, to take the time off that they need because of their workload. It's a, it's a demanding, demanding role. So I asked them to do an exercise this past week. I said, all right, 
I want you to take a sheet of paper and I want you to write two lists. On one side of the paper, I want you to write down what your, what your heart's desire would be if you had, let's say, two weeks off. What would you want to do? What would you want to experience? What would make your heart sing if you had some time off? And then I said, on the other side of the paper, I want you to write a list of all the things that are preventing you from experiencing that. What, what's standing in your way? And then my intention is, this coming week, is that we'll sit down, we'll look at those two lists, and I will look at that second list and see if there's anything I can do to take care of those problems for them, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna see, can I, can I ensure rest and refreshment for you because I understand that your workload is not allowing you to. That's part of what I'm trying to do as an application to this concept of the Sabbath year. A Sabbath year is meant to be rest for the people, obviously, absolutely, but it's also rest for those they employed. Can I help protect rest and refreshment for my team? Can I help them stop the grind? That's what I'm thinking about. Now, some of you probably don't have employees. Many of you probably are not managers of anybody, but I'll be honest, there are still people who work for you, who serve you. Maybe not directly, but, but I guarantee there are people in, 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 who work in retail, people who work at restaurants, your server at a restaurant, uh, your Amazon delivery drivers. These people work for you. What would it look like for you to be thinking about how to ensure that they are experiencing whatever rest and refreshment you are able to offer? When they come into your sphere of influence, can you offer them rest. Just imagine if we as a community, if we were committed to this, imagine if Grace Church was a place where everyone who served us in any way got a little taste of Eden. Imagine if we were the kind of community so generous with our time, so generous with our resources, that anybody who experienced us was, was, was experiencing new creation. If we could experience rest and become a champion of, of rest and Sabbath in this anxious time, I'll tell you what, it would leave an impact, wouldn't it? People would sit up and take notice if we represented God's heart for this broken world in this way. Can we ensure rest and refreshment for others? Or maybe let's, let's talk about something else under our sphere of influence, our families, our families. I talked a couple weeks ago about uh, maybe if you've, if you've got kids, it can be tempting to try to fill every one of their hours with, with, of every day with, with sports and extracurricular activities and all this stuff. What would it mean, if you do have kids, what would it mean for you to protect their rest, protect their refreshment, right? What would it, could you help them Sabbath? Could you help your kids stop the grind for a second? I mean, every scientific study out there says that unstructured playtime is one of the most important things in a child's development. Maybe there's something to this, that we need to stop them from grinding themselves into dust and protecting our children and allowing them to just play and be and dream and imagine. Maybe that's part of protecting that, which is within our sphere of influence. Maybe, all right, maybe sometime this summer, I, I know we all have different capacities, but maybe you could take a staycation of some kind, a weekend, a week, a staycation with you and your family where you're all just present with one another. No agenda, nothing to do. You're not even posting about it on social media. You're just together. Now, some of you, that's like a nightmare, and you're just thinking like, oh no. <laughs> Those teenage kids are looking at their parents like, please, no, you wouldn't. No, please don't. That sounds terrible. But, but, and maybe some of your parents are like, I'm not about to be trapped, cooped up in my house with a bunch of kids, right? Maybe you're feeling that. But if either of those is true of you, if you're feeling that, that hesitancy, I want to remind you, the Sabbath concept, Sabbath is a matter of trust. 
It's a matter of trust. Do you trust that in that time with your family, in that time that you spend together, that you're not gonna be bored? That God is gonna come through for you and make it a life-giving experience for you? That you may find refreshment for the soul of your family? I believe God's offering it. The question is, do you trust that? Again, the Sabbath year is an invitation to ensure rest and refreshment for all that is under our sphere of influence. I'm just trying to spark some ideas here. I'll give you one more thought, one more idea we could dig ourselves or dig, dig into significantly, and it's this idea of the Sabbath year of actually letting the land itself rest. This is really provocative to me, the idea that, that it's not just people or even creatures, but that it is the land itself. There's a lot we could come up with here. Uh, you know, you look at wild animals eating their fill of the, the land lying fallow. I think there are significant ramifications for how we think about our footprint on the earth, right? We could go down this road as stewards of God's creation. Is our lifestyle, is it destroying the earth or is it helping it flourish? It's God's creation that he, he gave us the job of stewarding it. Remember, Israel went into exile so that the land could get the rest that God wanted it to have. I think there are all kinds of application points here. We could talk about reducing our waste or, or protecting pollinating insects or caring for animals or pursuing clean energy. And I invite you to think about all that. That's all true. But there's an even bigger concept I want us to think about. The land itself must rest. I think this speaks to our posture in life itself. The posture that we are taking in the way that we live, in the way that we consider our existence and our work and our income and all of it, I think we have something to think about. What is our posture? Are we, are we constantly trying to wrench profit from the earth? Are we letting greed drive our decisions and the need for more money? Are we fighting against the thorns and thistles with sweat on our brow day after day after day? Or are we living content with a lifestyle of enough? Are we grinding ourselves down as slaves to, the, to greed and money, or are we content in the abundance that God provides? Which tree are we eating from? Are we at war with the earth because it seems like the right thing to do, or are we returning to Eden in trust that that's what God desires for us? Because we can't do both. We can't do both. Sabbath is an invitation to make a choice of trust, to let the land rest, to stop the war, to let yourself rest, to trust in God's provision and not your own, to step into the freedom that was made possible by Christ, to step in and experience new creation now. What is your posture? The Israelites missed their chance they missed their chance to experience the Sabbath year. What if we made a different choice? Let's pray. Well, Father, I know that we are, we are not ancient agrarian farmers, so it can be very easy for us to cast these ideas aside and to just say they're not relevant for us. It's not about us today. But Father, I, I think I'm realizing that that's not the case. These concepts, Father, are coming directly from your heart for what you desire for us and for our world. And so, God, I pray 
That for each one of us, as we consider the, the commands of Sabbath rest and of the Sabbath year, I pray, Father, that you would enlighten us, awaken us to the possibility of what our lives could be if we truly began to rest and be replenished and became a source of rest and replenishment for others. Father, would your Holy Spirit enliven in us a dream of a world transformed, knowing that it is your dream that it is within us. So Father, would you give us the strength and the courage to sometimes make those bold choices that would allow us to trust that you are gonna come through for us. Give us that courage, Father, I pray, so that we can rest in this anxious time. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who ended the curse. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.